Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And it is a Ginsburg exclusive show today. Um, Tyler is going to be out for the week. Um, yeah, so it's just going to be us two. And we're going to talk some Orioles. They're um, a little bit not as great as they have been. Uh, so there are, um, I guess... Uh, some cracks in the armor are beginning to show, but uh, yeah, we'll get into it. So, uh, how you doing, Eli? I'm good. I uh, I agree. There are some cracks in the armor, but you know, it's nice to eke one out in the Brewers series. Did it yeah. in fun fashion with the late homer by Gunner. Um, yeah. So you know, like, still optimistic on the whole. Um, I'm more and more convinced as time goes on that there's going to be nothing of any valuable or nothing of any value available at the trade deadline and mm-hmm. furthermore nothing of any value available in free agency after like Shohei and Julio Arias if the Dodgers don't extend him so I'm a, a little bit confused as to where the Orioles think they're taking this train but I'm a, I don't know they're yeah. good so Eli called me a few days ago and sort of seemed like he had a realization or sort of an awakening in in the moment. And he was just like, yeah, there's nothing out there. So I don't know what we're going to do. And I felt like you were panicking a little bit. Do you feel sort of in a panic state? I mean, yeah, you kind of have to be because like we've got, you know, everyone's itching for Kowser, Westberg, et cetera, to come up to the major leagues. And we have a full major league roster of major league players, you know, and you need somewhere to move them. Like theoretically you could try to pass some of these guys through waivers and whatever, but you're just, you know, losing folks in the organization. So the only way that it works is if you're trading people, the only way it makes sense is if you're trading people. And if there's nothing that can return that value relative to us, then yeah, it puts you in a terrible spot. You know, this is going to... They've already been saying that this will be the the institution of they, as in all the pundits and everything, um, have already been saying that this is going to be a, like, notoriously thin uh, trade deadline in terms of talent, in terms of what's available. And I don't know, you know, unless somebody comes out of the woodwork trying to capitalize on a... uh, on the weak trade market then i think we're going to be very underwhelmed this year yeah yeah it doesn't set the orioles up well at all uh for our future prospects and i think we talked on this podcast sort of about how dependent the orioles are on a successful trade deadline in order to continue the the success of this team uh throughout the rest of the year um so that's that's worrisome that's definitely worrisome so for sure. All right. All right. Um, well, let's let's I guess get into some of the uh topics for today. I guess I'm gonna sort of try my best to play the role of Tyler and sort of facilitate uh this discussion. Maybe we'll have a shorter episode because there are only gonna be two voices speaking, but who knows? Maybe just subconsciously we're gonna sort of internalize that and compensate and just talk <laughs> three times as more because Tyler's not here. So We'll see how it goes. But anyway, 
So the first thing we were going to talk about um, that we thought was sort of the most important thing that's happened. So first of all, let me just back up a little bit. The Orioles have been five and five since our last recording. We went one and two against Cleveland, took two out of three in San Francisco. As Eli already mentioned, we won one out of the three games against Milwaukee. That was actually it felt like a big win in the moment because the Orioles had been shut out like three nothing like for the first seven innings. And um, it felt like we were going to get swept and that it wasn't good. So it was really nice that the Oriole bats exploded uh, too late in the game. Honestly, you know, you can't always wait till the seventh and eighth inning to start scoring any runs and putting any offense together. But um, the Orioles did enough to win that game. Um so they took one out of two uh, when they went to Milwaukee, and then we beat the the Royals last night. So this is a little different for us because normally we we will record on a Sunday, and normally sort of the uh, the last series is sort of complete most of the time when we record. But um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we're just one and zero so far against Kansas City, and we have two games coming up today and tomorrow. So. Um, so yeah, so we've been five and five and I don't think that since we've recorded and we've like reported on the Orioles record, they've had a 500 record, like probably at all, like for that week or two weeks that, um, so this is, it's kind of different. Um, but, but that's also a good thing if, if we're in June and five and five being the baseline is a pretty good thing. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. So um okay so sort of the biggest thing uh that you know has kind of come up since we last recorded uh we had talked about him a little bit on the last episode but now we actually have some early results of how he's doing but Aaron Hicks uh has sort of taken over Cedric Mullins's role uh in center field and he got a few opportunities uh, to play there. I don't know how maybe he was going to get more than I thought he was the whole time. And that was just the plan is that he was going to be the the center fielder. I don't know. But he got some shots in center field and he's been doing really well, especially offensively, but even defensively, too. He's looked pretty good out there. Um, he's had some really nice plays and uh yeah, he's sort of been given the center field position and he's ran with it. So uh, since he's been up uh, with the Orioles now, of course, if you look at his Yankee numbers this year, you would see a very different uh, set of numbers. But since he has been with the Orioles, um, he's eight for 22. So he's hitting 364. He has an on-base percentage about 100 points higher than that. He has a home run, three RBIs, five walks, four strikeouts, and a 1072 OPS. So his slugging and his his on-base percentage are just through the roof right now. And this is a different player than was on the Yankees. Uh, You know, he was not doing this at all with them. Um, he was like sort of a disaster on the Yankees, but um, he's obviously very talented. I think we, you know, I feel a little, you know, maybe I think I should have highlighted that a little more, at least in my comments when we when we got him, is that this is a really talented player. And uh, so far in the Orioles, he's shown it. So, yeah, just what are your general thoughts on him, Eli? Um, are you are you excited to have Aaron Hicks on this team? Is this uh 
just a brief moment of success and uh you know then he's you know we're gonna have somebody else playing in center field soon uh or what's what's going on yeah i i think that he can be a fine player don't get me wrong i i do not think he's gonna go back to like 2018 aaron hicks i think that you know the orioles may have found a league average player but i'm sure that a couple things just fell together nicely. He was excited to be on a new team. And, you know, I, I'm not convinced that he's going to be a 1,000-plus OPS player for the rest of the year. Um, I don't think anybody should be convinced of that. <laughs> but uh, w- what is encouraging, you know, he is walking more than he's striking out. And if you look back to some of his best seasons, uh, he was a high OBP guy, 2017, 372, 2018, 366, 2020 in a bit of a shorter sample size, but 379. So, you know, he's definitely starting to see the ball well. Um, And, you know, the home run that he hit was off a breaking ball in Milwaukee. It definitely feels like, you know, the Orioles notice something in him are altering his approach in some way. I, I think that, I think that the, you know, the improvement from his 524 OPS from the Yankees is a real one. And I think that he will be like, you know, maybe even an everyday contributor. Um, I did kind of laugh because, you know, on our last podcast is before he had actually played in a game yet for us because he took that first game off and we all said, oh, you know, like this is not going to be a situation where Aaron Hicks is playing in center field every day. It's going to be da-da-da-da-da, you know, we'll rotate people in. And that just really hasn't been true. Aaron Hicks is our center fielder right now. So um, you... It looks like that's mm-hmm. the ahead, way that the Orioles designed it, yeah, was that they were going to plug him in and just let him sit. So you think that was sort of the plan all along? Like, even if this guy came up and was hitting 200 and had a 600 OPS or whatever, you think that he would he would be the center fielder and he would be playing sort of as much as he has, at least so far? Yeah, I guess what I think is, I think the Orioles probably plan to have him come up, be that everyday guy for as long as it seemed reasonable. You know, I think that, Kowser, you know, he had his little IL stint, but he is back and he is raking. And so I think that there could have been a situation where if Hicks had come up and through his first week and a half been absolutely terrible, that Kowser comes up and you start rotating him in along with Hayes, et cetera, et cetera, to, I don't know, hide Aaron Hicks a little bit. You know, he would probably still be on the team. You'd maintain the depth there, but I think that you would offload the responsibility if it wasn't such a good showing. I see. So you don't you don't think he would have just backed up like Hayes or McKenna rotating through there. Yeah, I don't think that was ever the plan. Right. Just based on how they've used him here. Right. Right, uh, right. You know he had like he had one good game in his first game, don't get me wrong, but they ran, they ran him back out there the next day, and one game obviously isn't enough to tell anything uh, about uh, you know a player's performance in the long term. So they ran him back out there the next day. They ran him back out there the next day. I think it's a, uh, I think that was the plan. And the Orioles have put him like right in the middle of the order too. I mean, we yeah. we we our middle of the order is kind of struggling a little bit right now. 
um like our except maybe austin hayes except definitely austin hayes yeah um, except he le- has been leading off sometimes we're gonna get into that but uh yeah they stuck hicks right in the middle of the order and yeah he's he's been doing really well so you basically see him for now being the center fielder until mullins returns yeah i think that's right i we'll talk about this later too but you know there has to be like a time where Colton Kowser gets to MLB. I, I don't know. It's got to happen sometime. And his 1100 OPS or whatever in the last 28 days in AAA. Let me check on it. Yeah, last 28 days, 1148 OPS in AAA. So I, I don't know. You know, the, he's wasting time down there. I don't really yeah. understand. So he, he's got to come up at some point. And, you know, maybe that pushes... Santander to DH is maybe the way that we do that. You know, I think that you want to keep Hicks and Hayes both in the lineup the way they're hitting right now. And you want to keep Santander because, I don't know, he's our best hitter besides Adley right now. Right. Or maybe Hayes, but um, I don't know. You know, our outfield is the source of, I guess, 75% of our production if Adley's the other quarter. <laughs> so right. I'm uh, a little curious as to how you – actually get Kowser to the major leagues but I think that um yeah I think Ryan O'Hearn is gonna need to take the back seat yeah and and how do you feel about like sort of the defensive alignment how do you feel about Hicks playing center as opposed to him playing left with you know Hayes or McKenna playing center I mean I think I think with McKenna right now it's pretty hard to justify him being in the lineup because he's not hitting like at all right now right and so i don't think mckenna would really be a factor in the orioles decision making right now um as far as starting options so yeah i mean how do you feel about hicks playing in center though rather than left yeah i don't mind it i i think that austin hayes is capable of playing center field uh this isn't necessarily a knock on him but i think it's a confluence of hayes isn't an overly large upgrade in center. And then at the same time, the Orioles also have this super unique left field setup that, you know, it's nice to have somebody who's played there before, you know, understands how much space there is out there. And quite frankly, you need more range in left field as an Orioles left fielder than you do uh, as an everyday, you know, like Yankees left fielder, (laughs) uh, just because of the space out there. So I think part of it makes sense, like based on our ballpark, Um, And part of it makes sense just because I don't think you're getting too much of an upgrade moving Hayes over to center. You know, he, uh, his like jump speeds and everything have gone down over the years. Um, Taking a quick look at Savant. Uh, But yeah, you know, like most of his defensive value is in his arm. Uh, Yeah. His, Outfielder jump is in the 15th percentile now. His outs above average are down in the 22nd. So I I don't think, you know, that's somebody that I, I guess Aaron Hicks isn't going to be much worse than that. I think he's probably going to be a little better than that in center field. Um, and Austin Hayes knows our left field. So yeah. I, I think this is the best defensive alignment we can have. Um, right. Obviously, ignoring Santander over there. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, too. And Hick, Hicks and Hayes are sort of similar 
in the style of defense and what they're good at and you know sort of so like neither of them have great like range or neither of them are like super super fast or agile in the outfield um but they both have great arms so they both sort of uh i guess have the same sort of defensive skill set um so yeah it kind of makes it interesting but i think i think you're you know sort of you're right and i think it makes sense what you're saying about um yeah the defensive alignment go ahead yeah i was just gonna say you know Hayes, i think just isn't that fast anymore (laughs) but i think that you know it's just part of hicks getting old and that is what it is right so do you see any i mean you know we're a long way away from this and we can sort of have this discussion you know again in the future when it becomes a little more relevant but just briefly do you see any way for Hicks to be on this team long term even with Kowser coming up or I mean do you think he's leapfrog some some other options we have out there to to at least stay on the team even if he doesn't start long term yeah I think definitely I I I think it makes absolutely no sense for you know at this point Aaron Hicks is more value added than Ryan McKenna to me. Um, you know, we have other ways that we can get a fast pinch runner. And, you know, I think our defense will be shored up by removing Santander from the outfield. So maybe if Kowser is playing right field, um, then, you know, like the, the speed and defensive replacement, I think is less value than Aaron Hicks would be in a bench role spelling guys every, every so often right yeah yeah makes sense okay well yeah he's he's doing really well right now we're excited about it um yeah i mean i I think it's kind of crazy because i was pretty you know sort of pessimistic and i was like he's not really gonna have much of a chance on this team and you know he's not gonna get the opportunity even to play well and yeah i I don't think that anybody in all of Baltimore fandom was actually excited about the Aaron Hicks move. Right. right. I think, yeah. I, we're excited now though. <laughs> of, course, of course. In hindsight, now, now we're excited about it. So yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, so as far as, so one of the things that's sort of come up is of course, with the absence of Mullins, uh, the Orioles sort of have a a little bit of a gap that they've been trying to fill in the leadoff leadoff spot in the order. Um, yeah, so the Orioles have sort of been rotating a little bit. Uh, Adam Frazier's hit first. Uh, Gunnar Henderson um, is going to hit first today for the Orioles. And Austin Hayes, uh, despite him being like the best hitter on the team, has well i mean i guess there's some sense for the best hitter in the team hitting first but uh you know being one of the power guys at least right now on the orioles um and you would think sort of a middle of the order bat on this orioles team he's even hit first uh in the lineup for us so just sort of uh yeah i mean this is exactly uh the difficulty uh that i think we had a discussion about when mullins first got hurt and how do you replace this this guy and um and the orioles are trying to sort of feel it out and feel out sort of what makes the most sense and and how do we do the best we can sort of replacing them so uh, yeah, I was curious, just sort of uh, your general thoughts on uh, Mullins, um, how the Orioles have tried to replace Mullins. Obviously, um, 
you know, not not great. Um, it's not a great situation overall. But um, what do you think the answer should be for the Orioles leadoff spot? Yeah, I, I think that there's no real should be. <laughs> uh, we had Adam Frazier up there, and I understood the – I guess the thinking there, you know, Frazier has long at bats. He doesn't strike out much. And, you know, in terms of getting somebody into the leadoff spot, who's, I don't know, I I guess he's got a terrible on base percentage. So, you know, it's not really about getting him on base, which normally it is, you know, but I think in this case, we're just trying to get the pitcher to throw some pitches as opposed to, you know, Jorge Mateo, who just grounds out on the first pitch of every at-bat. Um, so what I'm saying, I think, is that Frazier was maybe a lack of other great options. Um, I think that they wanted to keep Hayes a little bit back. You know, Hayes' on-base skills also have been fed largely by high batting average this year. He's got a 344 OBP, but his batting average is over 300, so... It, you know, it's not like he's the kind of guy who will draw a ton of walks, see a bunch of pitches. He's got 13 walks on the year against 54 strikeouts. So, you know, Hayes has been swinging the bat well, don't get me wrong. Uh, that's just to illustrate, like, what you're looking for in a leadoff hitter. I'm not sure we have really had it on this team. That said, Gunner, over his last uh, over his last 14 days, has been hitting 308 with a 357 on base and a 9 or I'm sorry, 577 slugging for a 934 OPS. So, you know, if we can have him with as discerning as his eye is, you know, he's drawn 30 walks on the year and his bat's coming around. He's actually starting to impact the ball. I think he's the solution. I think he's very easily the solution. And for this game on Saturday the 10th, uh, he is slated to hit leadoff today. Uh, That said, if we are facing a lefty, I think Hayes is still the best option. Um, for, you know, if you need a right-handed hitter there. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing, though, especially with Henderson, is, is you know, you're not capitalizing on the power as much when you put him there. Yeah, but I don't know. You need someone there for Adley, right? It, it's yeah. less about who's hitting leadoff and more about putting somebody in front of them so that Adley has a runner on base for him, you right. know? right. So basically, you're just saying the whole offense revolves around Adley Rutschman. Yeah. I I, I mean, now that Mullins is gone, you know, it's really like Adley um, and Santander has been hitting really well, too, recently. But once you get past them, you know, Hicks has had some very good moments. Mountcastle's been slumping and the entire rest of the order has been pretty much a non-factor this year. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, I actually don't know how I feel about... So, basically, you would say if a righty's on the mound, it's Henderson, and if a lefty's on the mound, it's Hayes. That's correct. It's that simple. Okay. Yeah, I I think that makes some sense. I I think that I would allow for a little more flexibility, possibly, than you are. I would maybe put Frazier up there um, every once in a while, depending on the situation. I think depending on how matchups go and trying to make it difficult for uh, relievers and um, uh, relievers and managers to sort of match up in the middle of the order, I think sometimes it could make sense to keep Hayes and Henderson uh, sort of lower in the order. I think most of the time you're right that it would make sense. 
um, to have one of those two lead off. But I could see in certain situations a case for Frazier being at the top of the order. And um, yeah, and then just trying to, um, yeah, make the best of it. Um, But yeah, uh, I mean, I think uh, it is kind of unfortunate because, right, you mentioned like Henderson's good slugging percentage right now. That's that'd be nice to have some guys on in front of him um, and that's that sort of thing. So um, but I think overall sort of of course, the leadoff spot in the order is very, very important and guys need to get on base um, in order to set up the rest of the lineup. So I think Hayes and um, Henderson make the most sense most of the time. But I, I think I would just have a little more flexibility than than that sort of you know, more or less hard rule that you're, you're, you're referencing here, but. Yeah. The, the other thing I'll throw out about Frazier, uh, I mean, he's obviously been worse over the last couple of weeks, but just went and looked like his stats by position in the batting order. Um, well, first off, it's kind of a hilarious situation. It, this is one of the nuances of, uh, I guess of baseball stats where you can actually have a higher batting average than OBP. Um, which just makes me laugh. Uh, out of the leadoff spot, he's hitting 200 with a 195 OBP, and that's based on maybe some sack bunts, sack flies, whatever. But um, yeah, he definitely is performing better when he's hitting down in the order. You know, when he's the focus of attention, so to speak, hitting leadoff. Um, yeah, at, you know, he's only got a 520 OPS in those situations, uh, and you know, further down in the order, he's been better. And over the last couple of weeks when he has been hitting some leadoff, uh, I noticed he's only got like a 182 OBP over his last 14 days. So I don't know. Maybe there's something about him not being comfortable there. Maybe it's partially just a regular slump. But it feels like for this moment, at least, he's got to yeah, gotta get bumped from there. Makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and obviously... Uh... Uh, a 200 on base percentage is is not good at all. So, or a 195 on base percentage. So, yeah, the, the Mendoza line is supposed to be for batting average, but <laughs> now right. it's in question for his OBP. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Isn't the Mendoza line 205 though? No, it's two. It's just 200. It's 200. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know why I thought that. Anyway, yeah, I don't either. All right. 205 is oddly specific. Yeah, maybe I was just trying to complicate it a little bit, you know. (laughs) Yeah, so. I mean, it it would be a baseball thing for the Mendoza line to be like a 205. 207.3. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. So. All right. um, Moving on. Um, So, uh, yeah. uh, Someone the Orioles caught up just recently. Josh Lester uh, from AAA. So far, he's gone one for seven. Yeah. So can we just, I guess, in general, explain this in the context of uh, the other minor league options the Orioles have? Um, Yeah. Go ahead. Just what are your thoughts? Yeah, sure. I I guess I'll just like, you know, we all know about Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, in his last 28 days, sitting 289, 373, 611 for a 984 OPS. He's got six home runs in the last 14 days. It's ridiculous. Uh, Colton Kowser, 
I've only got the last 28 days here, but 353, 560, 588. So over his last 28 days, over 500, over 550 on base percentage for an 1148 OPS. So I should also say Westberg was over the last 28 days as soon as I read that. So both of them over the last 28 days are like, if you mesh them into one player, they've probably gotten over 1,000 OPS. They are hitting the cover off the ball. They have absolutely nothing left to prove in AAA. And so the questions are naturally just floating around, you know, when are these guys actually going to make it to the majors? Um, And so, you know, they brought up Josh Lester, and I think, you know, this was... Gunner had his little back injury. Uh, We were about to face a bunch of right-handed starters. And so having another left-handed infielder kind of made sense. And like, excuse me, I want to give credit to Lester. He'd really been hitting the cover off the ball. He'd been hitting, he had had 14 bombs at AAA, 282, 339, 549 for an almost 900 OPS. So there's definitely nothing wrong with Josh Lester. I think, um, Unfortunately, he got called up while Kowser was still on the seven-day IL. Um, And I do think that the Orioles wanted a lefty. But all of this said, you know, it kind of ties into everything that we had talked about earlier with uh, the trade deadline potentially being, being a barren market. You know, it could potentially be... um, I don't know. It could start to be a problem for us is trying to figure out, you know, how do these guys make an impact in the future of the Orioles? And if we aren't going to be able to trade them away, then it starts to reason that they need to start making an impact at the big league level. And if we're going to kind of hurt this year in order to bring a bunch of new guys up and get them acclimated, which, you, you know, it's just very, very rare that somebody comes up and is immediately a good major league player. So, if you need to start working Colton Kowser into the lineup, Jordan Westberg into the lineup, then you are inherently going to take a step back in your performance. I don't know. I, I think it stands to question how much worse he could be than Adam Frazier's 182 OPS, but uh, you know, or how much worse he could be than, I don't know, Ryan McKenna as your fourth outfielder, et cetera. So I, I think there, it, you know, there's an argument that even, them getting acclimated is still a better version of what we have now. That said, you know, if you want to get them meaningful time, you're probably taking a step back. You know, Aaron Hicks has been pretty good. And when Aaron Hicks is done, Cedric Mullins has got to be in the lineup. Of course, Hayes is one of our best hitters. Santander is one of our best hitters. So getting Colton Kowser into the lineup on a daily basis becomes a pretty difficult task, especially, you know, keeping the DH slot open such that Adley can keep rotating through, Mountcastle can keep rotating through, etc. Um, I don't know. So it, th- there are there are questions. I'm not mad over the Josh Lester upbringing. You know, it's nice to see him get his first MLB hit. I think the situation did call for another lefty in the lineup, and you know, he hasn't looked terrible. It's just the one hit, but it's also just a couple of at bats. Um, he's not playing much. And so you could kind of question how much value he's adding. But then again, you know, I think we brought him up to be a left-handed infielder. Gunner's back is feeling better, obviously, with the home run. So then the question starts to become, all right, well, where 
how, how is this last bench slot best used? Um, and I think I think it's a valid argument that it's not best used with one of your top prospects. Uh, I think that the bench slot should be just a bench slot. And as long as we are not ready to commit to putting somebody in the lineup every day, then they should stay in AAA. Um, so I understand where the Orioles are coming from, you know, like they don't want to sacrifice somebody's rhythm, somebody's everyday playing time for the sake of getting them onto the major league roster just to not play. But that said, you know, we've talked about Frazier's struggles. Obviously Mateo has been struggling. There are places in the lineup that a Jordan Westberg could fit in and could do just fine. Um, and you could get him that regular playing time. We just got to pull the trigger on it. Yeah, well, this is, I mean, this is, you know, I think the problem that all major league teams deal with, right, is you have guys that are clearly better than AAA, but are just not good enough necessarily to start on a major league team, you know, every day. So then, like, well, what tells you he's not? Well, I kind of reject that. <laughs> well, who, who, I mean, first of all, who are we talking about? Uh, I mean, I guess it, Westberg, you know, but, with the two that I called out with well, Frazier Mateo. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, granted, I don't think necessarily Westberg would add more value than Mateo. But um, I what I what I would say is that um, no, but I, I think what you're talking about is there's this whole idea of, you know, the Orioles would be a worse team if they were to start some of these guys every day. If Kowser were to start every day over, say, Hicks or over, you know, whoever it would be, Santander, right, the Orioles would probably be worse. So uh, in order to maximize them, they would be relegated to a bench role, right, most likely, or not starting every day. But then that would, you know, hurt their overall long-term growth and development, right? So I think, I'm just saying, I think this is a common problem that all organizations deal with. And it's it's hard to find a way to sort of integrate these guys into a major league team while also allowing them to grow, right? I think it's a difficult process just in general. Um, but I think for the Orioles specifically, I think, yeah, I think there are a couple weaknesses that you can look at right now in the Orioles lineups and stuff like that, where, you know, one of these guys might make sense as a replacement. I think, yeah, especially, I mean, the thing is with Frazier, of course, he had the horrendous year last year, but you kind of look at the track record, you look at the defense. We've talked about the problems with the starting pitching. So, you know, it, you know, there is some justification to, you know, having him uh, sort of in the middle infield. Um, yeah, there are, there are like sort of uh, conservative uh, arguments. I mean, you could say you don't want to disrupt the the middle infield defense, the turning of the double plays, right? with Frazier and Mateo. And so, you know, there, there are things like that you can look at, but this is at this point, this is clearly an offense that needs a, a, a spark. Right. And right. if, and if somebody like Westberg could come in and play second base and be that offensive spark and then, uh, you know, um, Frazier gets relative relegated to the bench I think that's sort of a, a thing you, you got to risk. And 
that can always be changed. I mean, if Westberg comes up and he does horrible, it's not it's not finite, you know, like, you know, that's that's not a you can make the commitment. And the Orioles are sort of early enough in the season where if we call up Westberg now and he struggles for a couple weeks or three weeks or something, but then he turns it around like Adley sort of did when he first came to the majors, right? Then we can sort of, we're at a point where that's not going to like cramp our playoff chances, right? That's not, or it it could cramp our playoff chances a little bit, but uh, we're not heading into the postseason with a black hole at second base, right? So that's sort of, that's sort of the thing where I think, you know, if you are going to take a chance on any of these guys, which I think the Orioles are getting to a place where they sort of need to, then sort of now or very soon in the near future is the time to do it before the calendar flips to August. Um, And then you have even more sort of instability and insecurity heading into the final playoff push and eventually the playoffs. Yeah, no, I think that's a good call. I I think that, yeah, this trade deadline is going to be super interesting. You know, we, I think we have to try to make some moves. We obviously have like too many major league bodies to, you know, fit on the major league roster. Um, you know, people could argue that maybe Urias is not a starting infielder in the major leagues. I think he could be somewhere. He's definitely good enough for the athletics. I think you could argue that, you know, maybe Frazier's on that borderline. He's still, you know, on pace for, two plus war this year. So I think that, you know, that, that is a major league, major league baseball starting player. Uh, same with Mateo. Um, but all that said, you know, we, I, I guess, you know, that, that value is wasted if you just relegate them to AAA or have to try to pass them through waivers and they get claimed somewhere else as opposed to trading. Um, so you definitely want to try to find a match for some of this talent, you know, it, it's, it's, this is the time that the Orioles have been building up to where we can spend that capital, spend the, you know, like the value of all the depth that we've accrued and get something big time back for it. So um, I, I think the Orioles are just trying to play the waiting game and trying to identify targets and pick folks out as best they can without committing to, you know, one path for the future of this team with, you know, getting rid of Ramon or DS, then it's a lot harder to trade Jordan Westberg, you know, something like that. So I, I think that they're playing the waiting game. It feels like this front office is always playing the waiting game. Uh, but that said, you know, we are still a month and a half away from the trade deadline. So I think that it's difficult to to sort of project what this team is going to look like in two months after that trade deadline. Um, because we're obviously at a point where we want to be buying, we want to be pushing chips in and uh, it's difficult to see where those chips are going to go and what we're going to get in return. Right. And this is, this is, you know, this is also reminding me of sort of my objections when we signed Frazier in the first place, because I mean, this is sort of a self-inflicted issue, right? Uh, I mean, the Orioles, granted, you know, 
it's clear that Frazier has served a purpose and a role on the team so far. Um, and he's been useful to the Orioles in some ways, but this is exactly the, you know, the warning that I was sort of presenting when we signed Frazier is that right. Well, now we have sort of more of a problem because now we have someone blocking Westberg from like taking the position for instance, or Joey. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of, uh, it's an unfortunate situation and the Orioles have to sort of come up with this creative juggling act, right. In order to try to figure all of this out. So yeah, it's yeah. not great. So, all right. Um, yeah. And as, and as far as Lester goes, I mean, the one thing I will say about him is, I mean, I think the Orioles also, uh, they sort of wanted someone who it wasn't going to like, damn it. You know, there's not a lot of hope. Uh, Lester is how old? Like 28, 29, something like that. So there's not a lot of hope that he's going to really factor into the long-term plans of the Orioles. So I think the Orioles, exactly kind of like you mentioned before, sort of didn't want to 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 pull someone out of their routine and their rhythm who they had long-term hopes for, right? So I think that's also part of why Lester was selected. And because, of course, like you said, he was hitting really well in triple up. So, Okay. Uh, yeah moving on um uh yeah i was gonna move on and then i'm like wait i actually have this one last thing to say so <laughs> i said it anyway okay so uh the all-star game uh is coming up it's on the horizon voting for the all-star game has already started and has already taken place so quickly um i guess we, well well we, hold on yeah taken place in the sense that some people have done it. It's not like over. Correct. I just want to yeah. make that clear. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Has already be- begun. Uh, has already initiated. Let me put it that way. It just say it started. It started. Okay. It's good yeah. enough. <laughs> okay. yeah, right. So um, I'm I'm trying to be a good Tyler today. You know. So um, so yeah, the All Star Game is coming up, and um, yeah, you know the Orioles are sort of fortunate this year. There is a lot on this Orioles team that could be headed to the all-star game so eli who are your picks for the 2023 baltimore oriole representatives all-star game representatives so i think there will be a very interesting situation with our boy cedric but i think that the easy ones are adley will be there felix bautista will be there and yanir cano will be there um, I think we've got three pretty shoe-in ones, uh, particularly because the uh, the relievers are not picked by fans, uh, so that will help us significantly. <laughs> um, with said, it'll be very interesting because you know it. I think I think he will go. Um, I think his chances might even be helped if it's a situation where he is still hurt at the time of the all-star game um, because, you know, then he can get the selection and be injured and they bring somebody else on. If he comes back before the all-star game and then has, you know, a couple bad weeks or whatever, you know, voting will be happening this whole time while he's injured. So um, I think there's still a very, very good chance he gets enough votes in the meantime, but I think there is a chance that he, uh, he just starts to fade because the counting stats won't be there as he spends more time on the IL. 
and uh, I think I think some less educated fans will ding him for that. So you have Cano, Bautista, Adley, and Mullins. I, I've got a solid maybe on Mullins. I think the way okay. that Cedric Mullins has played is a thousand percent deserving right, of right, being there. Okay. Um, but I'm just not sure that with the injury. Uh, you know, like the, uh, other folks will be racking up home runs and RBIs, and the right um, the voting website only shows you certain things. So, yeah, I, I'm concerned that that will hurt him. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I, you know, clearly he's played like an all star this year and is deserving of being one. Absolutely. Can you uh, speak to the chances of someone like Austin Hayes making the team? Uh, Austin Hayes, I did think about a bit. Um, I I think that, you know, obviously he's been hitting the ball well. Um, but there are still, I don't know, it, like Mike Trout's going to make it. Obviously Trout's incredible, but like you, you just have to kind of pencil in some sure bets. Um, you know, I think... I think Jordan Alvarez is an outfielder on the ballot rather than a DH. So, you know, there are certain things that it's like, you know, they have big fan bases over there and those are nationally recognized names. And Cedric got some of that recognition from his 30-30 season. Uh, So his combination of performance and name recognition, I think, gives him a better shot. Austin Hayes, you know, he, he only has a couple home runs this year relatively yeah, he's only got seven home runs and he's got a great batting average, but I, I think that I think that the public will ding him a little bit for, you know, not having some of the larger shot in face numbers. Yeah, I th- I think that's absolutely right. Um it's a little reminiscent of Trey Mancini a few years ago with Austin Hayes. Um I think also the thing with Hayes is I don't think he has the the national notoriety really that exactly that other yeah. people do um I, I think it's also a little bit of a question mark whether he's deserving of it as well like whether he really is um you know as good as as you know uh who else will be on the ballot i haven't looked at the ballot i haven't actually even voted yet I that's ridiculous say. yeah it's bad but i'm going to. i, I I'm have going gone to. through and submitted my five daily votes multiple times I was gonna say, I think I think we should post our um, our selections on Twitter. I gotta say, okay. What do you think of that? I'm fine with that. Okay, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, but I, I think I think Cano, Bautista, and Adley they are no doubters. I think um, I think the, the thing is, I will say about the public, I do think um, Mullins has sort of. You know, maybe a couple years ago, I would have said the same thing about Mullins, even when he had his 30-30 year, even though he made the team. Uh, oh, Santander was... just made a nasty catch at the wall. Nice. I'm sorry. I, I just felt okay. it was worth worth interjecting. Great. Okay. Cole Irvin's making his first so... start, and with two runners on, there was just a ball hit to hit to the warning track in right field. Nice leaping catch. And what about what about I mean that's another Santander is another guy. Um, yeah, no, so, I, yeah. I I don't think that Santander or Hayes are really all star caliber. They're playing very well this right. year and they're great contributors. But well, Santander yeah. is hitting really well this year. 
and he had that good defensive catch, you know. So well, that's what I said. Isn't it? What did I say? Well, you said he's playing well, so I was just commenting on ah, that. just but hitting. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was a subtle adjustment, but right? An important right, right. one, you know. Yeah, so, no, it's valid. It's valid. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, but I, I I think you're basically absolutely right. But what I was saying about Mullins is that you know he's definitely um, skyrocketed, sort of in national popularity. I think especially um, after having played for the U.S. Um, in the World Baseball Classic, even though, you know, he had to kind of sit on the bench a decent amount because of Trout, you know, hogging up all the space in center field. Well, but th- that outfield was ridiculous. Okay, but yeah, right. So anyway, yeah, saying, that's was... that's not really the point. The point is that Mullins uh, is a little more well-known of a national figure at this point, um, and he's really good. So I... You know, I'm really hoping Mullins makes a team this year. Um, but I think I think it's definitely Cano. I think it's definitely Bautista. If Cano and Bautista and Adley are not on the team, like Baltimore needs to start. Well, I was going to say needs to start a riot. But, um, you know, then I was. Yeah. But uh, so uh, but yeah, I mean, Baltimore, like those three will be on the team. They have to be on the team and it would be completely inexcusable for them not to be on the team. Um, I think there's very little chance. Like I said, because the relievers are not selected by the fans and Adley is, you know, he's got a captain America bobblehead today. Like, yeah, Adley's going to be there. Adley's Adley. Yes. And yeah, enough people know about Adley too. And even if he didn't get voted on, like the managers would like, just take him on, you know, like I think they have a a selection or two of their own that they can just decide on. So um, yeah, Adley will get on. And then Bautista is, you know, one of the best, if not the best closer in baseball right now. And Cano literally did something historic that like has never been done in baseball and he has like you need a magnifying glass to like be able to see his ERA and his whip this year. So um all of them need need to be on the team. Um and yeah, and then Mullins, like I'll be very upset if he doesn't, but I you know, the injury eh, it makes it a tiny bit more justified he's not on the team, but I think he needs to be. So yeah. all right, so before we close this out. Mm-hmm. I think we do have to just talk about Felix Bautista and the fact that he's averaging, you, you know, like if well, he goes out like, there, he's not on our outline. So we really should not talk. About well, him. yeah, I'm going to do it anyways. And I'm going to break okay. the rules. Okay. Go <laughs> if we, if Felix Bautista goes out there right now and he faces three hitters and he gets all three out and he strikes out two of them, his strikeouts per nine innings goes down. It goes down. And that is if, that is yeah. blasphemous. Well, unbelievable. I, I will also say, if he goes out there, he gives up a double, gets two strikeouts, and then gets a pop up. His strikeout percentage also goes down. By the uh, same I mean, amount. yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So anyway, why, yeah. why I, was I, that worth saying? I, I don't know. I don't know. But. Anyway, um, yeah, but well, it, you, yeah. you know, so, it's just to illustrate, like, I, I mean, he's amazing. I mean, we have never seen this level of dominance. Like, he's got two pitches it, 
you, you know, his fastball has like a 40% whiff rate on it. His yeah. splitter obviously is one of the best in the game. I think it's like 55% whiff rate. Um, what it's Bautista, just unbelievable. What Bautista is doing, there is an article from a long time ago um, that I has stayed in my mind ever since I read it. Um, and it's an ESPN article. I forget who it's by, but it was written a long time ago. But and it was called something like the mind blowing stats of Araldus Chapman. And I mean, it was just amazing. He had thrown like 800 pitches over 100 miles an hour or something. And like the rest of the league had thrown like 40 at the time or something like that, you know. And then if you ticked it up and ticked it up, you know, um, yeah, so. The reason I bring that up is because Bautista is doing, granted, he's a different pitcher than Chapman. He's a righty. Um, he is a different, you know, uh, Chapman through a slider uh, was his his sort of wipeout pitch. In addition to the, the disgusting fastball he threw, uh, he had a disgusting slider as well. And Bautista, of course, goes to the splitter. Um, but sort of the numbers and the stats that Bautista is accumulating right now and will continue to hopefully accumulate this year and hopefully moving into future years. I mean, they are at historic levels and we should not take it for granted because what, I mean, I don't know if you exactly remember this, but like Bautista has more strikeouts than like a lot of starting pitchers. Like starting... Bautista on the Baltimore Orioles. I'm I'm gonna while I do this, I'm gonna make sure it's still true. But mm-hmm. Baltimore Orioles pitchers, Bautista's number two in strikeouts. Do we know who that's behind? I think it's behind Kyle Gibson. Uh-huh. Which is interesting because Gibson does not get a lot of strikeouts. Yeah, but Gibson just throws so many innings. Yeah. Counting, counting. Oh my goodness. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. Okay. Oh, it's behind Wells. Yeah, Wells has okay, 74 strikeouts. Felix Bautista has 64. And then next is Dean Kramer with 59. Yeah. And that's so, in 75 innings for Wells, 31 for Bautista, and 70 for Kramer. <laughs> so something is something is happening if you have a closer that is racking up strikeouts like that. I mean that that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's unbelievable to think about. Yeah, no. If if he gets through the year with this, um, I, I think I saw online the other day that there has never been somebody with a greater than fifty percent strikeout rate and more than like twelve ish innings. So he will obviously blow that out of the water if he keeps this up. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe he warrants doing sort of a deeper dive on one of our future podcasts, um, but, I mean, he's incredible. He's I don't know, there's nothing to say, you know, he throws 100 miles an hour, he's got yeah. an incredible splitter, they right. they tunnel well, he's a big dude, so he gets extension, you know, not only is he throwing freakishly hard, he's throwing close, yeah. um, the fastball has less drop than just about any in the major leagues. I saw he's averaging like seven and a half inches of drop on his fastball. Right. Um, you know, which like the thing is just like an arrow. <laughs> it, it just goes straight. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that's deceptive at the top of the zone and at the bottom. I, I think it's one thing that's super interesting about Felix is 
Obviously, he will get the swing and miss at the top of the zone, but the number of knee-high fastballs that hitters take and then get upset about is hilarious to me, right? And it's just because that thing just rides that extra little bit and just stays up as they're expecting it to dip below their knees. Well, also, I think he he benefits uh, when he throws at the bottom of the zone because he does it so relatively infrequently. He throws at the top of the zone the most, right? Right. Um, so yeah, when anything comes out of his hand that it's that is down, I think it, it's very confusing to the hitter, and it, it doesn't Absolutely. look right, and they're just surprised. And I'm talking about when he throws a fastball down in the zone, not when the 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 splitter dips and 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 ducks out. Of well, well, yeah, but, but I, I I think I, I think that's still stands though. Like with the splitter, you know, they're expecting the splitter to be the thing that's coming out on that lower plane. Um, and yeah, when it just stays up, I think it's that much more deceptive. I think, yeah, the point stands either way. Mm, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, yeah, no, but Bautista is amazing and, uh, we definitely, uh, you know, we're excited for him. We're, you know, pulling for him to continue dominating, um, like he is and to keep, yeah, put a put a historic season together. We're excited for it. So. No doubt and, about and, it. And uh, yeah, we need to see. We don't. I gotta say, we don't only need Bautista and Cano to make the team. We need them to like get their pitch the eighth and the ninth. Yeah, exactly. Pitch. The <laughs> I think. I think probably. You know, I think there's a very good chance Bautista will be saved to close the game or to pitch the ninth inning. Um, I think there's a good chance that like they're not going to want two Orioles to pitch the eighth and the ninth. Like, oh, yeah. that's not fair. So I could see Cano coming out for like the fourth or the fifth or something, and maybe well, even I, maybe I, even throwing. Well, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think they'll still be rolling two starting pitchers. I expect Cano not to pitch. Oh, that's but because oh, that would be nah, so... you, you, you'll you'll get six innings out of starting pitchers, and then you will go and it's going to be three closers from. From the American League. No, uh, uh, wait. In the All Star game of starting pitchers, oh, you're saying you're going to get six starting pitchers throwing one inning each? Yeah, something like that. I mean, usually the first starting pitcher will throw two, two maybe the second will also. Okay. Oh, that that would be such a, you know, and he is the guy that you need to have pitch in a game like the all-star game, you know, with the strikeout pose and, uh, you know, all the, you know, that on, you know, that in playoff baseball would be amazing to, to watch, you know, also in the all-star game, you know, just his antics, I guess. And that, you know, if antics has negative connotations, I don't mean it in that way. But just sort of his presence on the mound is something for a spectator to enjoy. Oh, so yeah. I think, yeah, so he needs to he needs to pitch in the All-Star game. So I guess like, we need to, I don't know, like do Orioles need to like begin, a, like Oriole fans need to like begin a writer, let uh, a letter writing campaign to the manager of the all-star game or something like I, that to make sure. I don't think that's going to change anything, but yeah. I think something we can hope for is potentially an Adley and Felix, you know, thumbs up and hug at the end of the game. It's in Seattle. So American league will be the home team, but, but Adley's probably going to start. That's the problem. Yeah. 
I don't know, maybe they could put him back in or let him play the whole game. I know that doesn't usually happen, but. Yeah, he's definitely not playing the whole game. But it'd be cool. Yeah. I think Hyde would probably have some objections to that. I think he probably would. Yeah. I think Mike Elias would start a letter-writing campaign. Right. Yeah. You're not taking any Baltimore Orioles to next year's All-Star game. Yeah, you're done. (laughs) You're done. Yeah. So... Okay, well, I think that about wraps things up for us. Uh, it's been an interesting episode without Tyler here. So, um, but yeah, uh, maybe he'll be, yeah, he might be back for the next episode. Um, we'll see. So we'll keep you all updated, keep you all posted. Uh, we've kind of been doing this, uh, you know, uh, once every couple weeks we've been recording. Um, I think you know, last year I kind of felt like... Uh, well, I don't, I don't exactly remember how I felt about it, but I feel like we're doing, like, we have a good flow this year, and I think it's been going well. So Got a little rhythm. Yeah, it's been once, fun. Yeah, this once every couple weeks schedule. So, um, in any case, uh, if anybody wants to contact the show, they can uh, email us at thewarehousepod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I actually made an Instagram post earlier today. <laughs> um, so we're uh, a little but, more active on Twitter, though. Yes, that is true. That is true. Although maybe I'm going to try to change that. I got to say, maybe I'm going to try to, you know, you got the Twitter thing. You okay, know, well, I'm on Instagram. Maybe I can just the Instagram thing. So in any case, we'll give figure them the handle. Out. Yes, but uh, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at the warehouse pod. Um, I told you where you can email us. I don't normally do this part of the show, so I'm trying to rattle through. Uh, <laughs> everybody can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Juggernaut8678, J-U-G-G-E-R-N-A-U-T-8678. And Eli, where can people follow you? We haven't done this portion in a long time. I know, I but, know. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I'm just on Twitter at, Gin- or at Elijah Ginsburg. Pretty simple. Cool. Just uh, your name, basically. I mean, it's linked on uh, on the Warehouse Pod one. Go follow yeah. the Warehouse Pod one because that's what yeah. I use. That, I, I don't. That's ever the tweet. important thing, right? You tweet that's... Jesse? No, not really. Every okay, once so in then, a while. Why are you telling people this? Well, I don't know. This is why know, we just, stopped telling people just felt, this because yeah, we don't use our personal. I ones. guess. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I put like a petition on there. I like retweet something like every once in a blue moon. But yeah, well. Anyway, if you're looking for non-baseball content, go follow Jesse. True. If you want the baseball content, follow us on the warehouse pod. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. Do you have anything else before we go? E? No, it's uh, it's starting to look like a nice Saturday afternoon in Baltimore. Um, the Orioles have scored a couple runs off Brady Singer. Yeah. And I, I mean, we do have Cole Irvin happen. on the mound. So yeah. Well, don't get too. He had one inning without a run. So. In large part because of a big Santander catch. Yes, but he had one so, inning without a run. Great. So that's a big win. Well, yeah. Okay, great. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, good people. Thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, I'm Jesse. I'm Eli. And go O's.